Seven minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Wednesday, nine days edition of JM in the AM. We are in the midst of our spoken word, nine days format, which is uh, something that lasts through Tuesday, through Tisha B'Av. And uh, we have been using the uh, amazing lectures of Rabbi Beryl Wine as the centerpiece of our nine days programming. <coughs> Information about his amazing presentations, history and beyond. 1-800-499-WEIN, 1-800-499-WEIN, or RabbiWine.com, RabbiWEIN.com. We have been... Uh, We have been um, gaining tremendously from the insight that he has into so many things, and we've been concentrating this week on the series that he released a while back entitled Jewish Values, and topics like pleasantness and peace and family and Torah scholarship have all been included in the Jewish Values series from the Destiny Foundation. Uh, we start now and hope to play in its entirety this morning the uh, Jewish value lecture entitled The Land of Israel here at JM in the AM. Tonight's uh, topic uh, deals with Eretz Israel as a value. Now, and I'm talking as a uh, political statement or as an idea of uh, Jewish nationalism, but as a religious value because this entire series deals with values and the value of Eretz Israel as uh, an idea uh, is one of the most supreme values in all of Torah and all of the Jewish people I read an article uh, before Yom Yushalayim written by the chief rabbi of Haifa Rav Shor Yashuv Cohen uh, who uh, the thrust of the article uh, was a remembrance of his experiences in Yerushalayim. He was captured in the 1948 war. He spent nine months in the Jordanian prison camp. He lost part of his leg. Uh, and he writes about his experiences uh, regarding Yerushalayim over the past 57 years. But one of the things that he pointed out is, uh, and he said it very clearly, he said that Medinat Yisrael, the state of Israel, is meant to be a conduit, is meant to be a means to achieve Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel. And in other words, that the state 
and our nationalism and everything that we have accomplished, that's not the end, that's only the means. And the means, uh, he quotes naturally from his father, the Nazir, and uh, from Rav Kook, uh, that the physical rebuilding of the Jewish people is a necessary prerequisite for the spiritual rebuilding of the Jewish people. But it is not the end. The end is that spiritual rebuilding. As he calls it, it's the rebuilding of Eretz Israel and not just of Medina Israel. So we speak about Eretz Israel here as a value, as one of the ideas uh, that has been constant throughout Jewish history. And it's been constant, it's interesting whether the Jewish people were here in the land of Israel or whether they were in the diaspora, in the exile. Because uh, we see in the Nevi'im, uh, the Nevi'im always speak about how does Eretz Yisrael react uh, to the behavior of the people who live there. As though Eretz Yisrael is a living thing, it's not a passive piece of land, but it's a living organism. And this living organism reacts to what happens on it, around it, through it, and that that's the value, uh, that's the idea of what Eretz Yisrael represents. Now, the Jewish people spent most of their history outside the land of Israel. Uh, we're a people that are uh, 33, over 3,300 years old from Yitzhak Mitzrayim, and most of the time we have not been here. And whenever we have been here, uh, it has not been sweetness and light. There were periods, good periods, the period of David HaMelech, the period of Shlomo HaMelech, 80 years. Then it started to fall apart. Uh, the time of uh, the second temple, the period of the Hashmanoim, so the first hundred years... Uh, was a good time, but then it fell apart. And it's been a difficult, difficult situation always regarding living in the land of Israel. And the reason for that is because we are trying to translate a spiritual value into an everyday life, into a state that has to function, into all of the problems of everyday living. It's much easier to deal with it as an imaginary thing because then you never have any disappointments and you don't have to worry about it and you don't have to collect taxes and you don't have the, the whole problem but how do we make it work practically uh, that is a major challenge and that challenge has faced the Jewish people every time they've been here in the land of Israel so we find that uh, during the time of Yoshua and the Shoftim so during the time of Yoshua, the Jewish people still were afraid of Yoshua because they still were afraid of Moshe. Moshe had such a lasting influence upon them that as long as Yoshua was here, they still thought that Moshe was here. But when Yoshua died, so then Vayibi Shvota Shoftim, we read now in the Megillah of Ruth, Shvota uh, Shoftim Rashi says the judges were judged. The Jewish people said, in effect, Miata, who are you to tell me to do anything? Everybody did whatever they wanted to. It was the ultimate pluralistic society. 
Do whatever you want. So then it's chaos. Falls apart. So then God has to remind them that they're Jews, right? So he sends the Plishtim, he sends the Amalekim, he sends the Kananim. All sorts of problems. And it takes time until David HaMelech comes on the scene uh, that the situation somehow becomes ameliorated. Now it becomes livable. And uh, during the last years of David, the last 20 years of David, and the first 25, 30 years of Shlomo HaMelech, so then it is finally what Eretz Yisrael is supposed to be. And they build the temple, and everything is wonderful. But people, especially the Jewish people, cannot stand prosperity. They cannot stand that everything should be wonderful, so they have to make it not so wonderful. And uh, Shlomo uh, wanders away, and then there's a rebellion, and Yeroham ben Nevot, and then they split into two kingdoms, and then they become idolaters and pagans, and that's the story. So because of that, Eretz Yisrael is the most sensitive topic to discuss. And I hesitated to put it down on the sheet as one of the values to discuss, because I'm well aware that whatever one says uh, can unfortunately be subject to misinterpretation, and also because it's so sensitive, because we're living here and we're part of it, and therefore we feel it perhaps differently than in the theory of Eretz Yisrael. The Gemara says, Gimul Matonos Nosan HaKadosh Baruch Hu Yisrael. God gave us three gifts. Velo Nosanon Elobi Yisurim. And all three come with great pain. The three gifts are Torah. If you want to be a Talmud Chacham, if you want to study Torah, then it's sacrifice, it's Yisurim, it's uh, giving up hours and time. If you really be a great Talmud Chacham, so then it requires an enormous amount of concentration, willpower, it's Yisurim. It's not easy. Anyone who has ever opened the Daf Gemara and looked at it, the page itself is sufficient to dissuade you from going further. There are three different fonts on the page. It's, uh, it's written in a language that... Uh, very difficult for us. We don't speak Aramaic anymore. And then you have Rashi on one side and Tosas on the other side, and then you have uh, the Rosh in the back, and nobody agrees on anything with it. It's Biyasurim. If you want to accomplish something, then you have to pay for it. The second thing the Gemara says is Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael comes Biyasurim. It's a matona. So look at the language of the Talmud. The language of the Talmud is that it's a gift. Meaning we're not entitled. The language of Matona is always that you're not entitled. It's a gift. There are certain things in life that we think we're entitled to. But the Talmud, when it says Matona, so you're not entitled to be a Talmud Chacham, you have to earn it. You're not entitled there to Israel, you have to earn it. How do you earn it? Be Yisurin, right? Then we can all testify what that means. The Jewish people for over the past hundred years here in Eretz Yisrael, every day is Yisurim. Every day is problems. Every day is blood. Every day is all of the difficulties that we're so well aware of. And the greatest Yisurim is that you don't see any way out of it. 
That's you know, as long as you see a way out of it, then people uh, people uh, almost are happy to absorb the Yusurim. But Yusurim on end with no way out, so that already is a different level of pain. And the third gift that Gemara says is Olamabo, eternity, immortality. So you only gain that also through sacrifice. You only gain that also through willing to undergo sacrifice and pain. So because of that, we have this great concept that Eretz soil has to be earned. Now you have another concept that God promised it to us. He told us from the beginning, He told Avram Avinu, I'm giving you this land it's going to be yours he told it to Yitzchak he told it to Yaakov he's told it to us from the beginning of time this is your land I'm giving it to you the only thing is that when it comes uh, to the bottom line uh, it's not our land Avram Avinu wants uh, to bury his wife Zorah so he has to buy the Marasamachpela from the Bnei Ches, from Ephron, for, for an enormous amount of money. The Rashi there quotes the Medrash that says, Avram, the, the greatness of Avram was that he didn't say to God, but you promised me, you said it's my land. What do you mean? i got to pay him 400 shekel over La Socher, the best mint coins. You promised it to me. And Yitzchak digs wells all over the country and all the wells the Philistines uh, take over they stop them up they throw them out and the Yitzhak does not say but you promised me that the land is mine and Yaakov Avinu when he comes back from Lovan so he has to buy the land by Shechem and he doesn't say again you know God you promised me you told me it would be mine so that's part of the definition of Yusurin. Yusurin is when you have to buy and sacrifice for what is yours. What belongs to you already. You have to start all over again. Which is in essence what happened to the Jewish people over the last hundred years. Whether it be through... Uh, the Karen Kayemet, or through private funds, or whatever, or purchase, you, you have to buy it all over again. Because of the fact that that's Eretz Yisrael, Niknis be Yisurim. So we have to be prepared for that. We have to realize that on one hand it's ours, it was promised to us by God, and God's promises are valid. God's contract is never defaulted. And on the other hand, uh, we have to earn it. We have to buy it. We have to fight for it. We have to bleed for it. It's not ours. And that balance, uh, that contradiction almost, uh, lies at the heart of the Yisurian of Eretz Yisrael. Now, the Talmud has... Very, the Talmud is very, very pro Eretz Israel. Let's put it that way. The Talmud uh, has almost a hidden anger, and this is the Babylonian Talmud, let alone the Yerushalmi, the uh, Talmud that was written in Eretz Israel. The Talmud has almost a hidden anger 
at people that don't come there to Israel when they have an opportunity to do so. When the Jewish world had an opportunity to do so. But the Gemara says, for instance, by Ezra, that at the time of Ezra, most of the Jews stayed in Bovel. They didn't come back. And the Talmud says, Elu Olu Kachoma, if they would have come up in waves, they would have, if they would have come home, then the second temple would have had all of the spiritual glory and miracles that the first temple had. But because the Jews didn't want it, so God says, okay, so you don't want it, I, I don't want it either. They didn't come back. And throughout the history of the second temple, there were tremendous uh, Jewish communities all over the Mediterranean basin, in Rome, in Greece, in Bovel, in, uh, uh, in Egypt, in Alexandria. And the rabbis always held that against them. And therefore the rabbi said, for instance, Bamachashakim Hoshivani Hashem, the Lord has made me dwell in darkness. Zu Talmudo Shalbovel. That's the Babylonian Talmud. The Babylonian Talmud, which the Gemara speaks about itself, is darkness because it was composed in Bovel. And uh, Bovel uh, had a very, very high spiritual state. Great Talmudic Chachomim, great Yeshivas, a great Jewish community. So let me just quote to you a few Gemaras. Because the Gemara says that the land itself has a holiness to it. The land itself has a holiness to it. It's called Eretz HaKodesh, the Holy Land. So you don't hear it so much amongst Jews, but in the non-Jewish world they still call it the Holy Land. Eretz HaKodesh, the land itself has holiness, independent of who is there. And independent of how people behave there. The land itself is holy. So the Gemara says, an interesting Gemara, Rabbi Brokio, Rabbi Lezer ben Pedos, two of the Talmidim of Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan had the great yeshiva in Tveria in the 3rd century, so two of his Talmidim, Rabbi Brokio and Rabbi Lezer ben Pedos, uh, they were uh, taking a walk by the Yom Kineret, by uh, the gate to Tveria. Now, in the ancient world, in the time of the Talmud, Tveria, as today, was a great burial ground. Had large Jewish cemeteries. The uh, great hill uh, on which the tomb of Reb Meir Balanes perches on top, that whole hill is a cemetery. It has thousands and thousands, if not tens of thousands of graves in it. Because... The cemeteries at the time of the Talmud were caves that were dug into the side of the mountain and that uh, because of the shortage of land uh, they uh, let the body decompose for a year and then they collected the bones and put them in an ossuary in a ceramic jar and that jar they put in in the cave and then they had room to bury again. It was a uh, different system than we are accustomed to. In any event, they are at the gates of Tveria. And they see they're bringing bodies from Chutzlaretz, right, to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. 
So here we have two different opinions. And the two opinions are very sharply stated. And you can hear them both today as well. They resonate in our world. Who needs them? What value are they coming now to get buried here? When they were alive, they didn't come. They weren't interested to live in Eretz Yisrael. And now they come when as corpses. And I say that this posik refers to them. That's My country, my land, the land of Israel, you treated it abominably. That was while you were alive. You didn't come. And now you have come and you have defiled my country because a mace brings with it, Tuma brings with it defilement. So he's not very happy. He didn't come, he said, Who needs you now? Omar Lo Rabbi Elezer. So Rabbi Elezer ben Pedos said to him, No, 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 you're wrong. Lohi. It's not correct. Kivan Shehem Nigborim Beretz Yisrael, since they will be buried in the land of Israel, Veniten Lahem Gush Ofor Shel Eretz Yisrael, and they will have the dust, the dirt of Eretz Yisrael will cover their bodies. Mechaperes, it brings forgiveness to them. says, V'chiper ad Mosul Amo. Moshe Rabbeinu said, the land of Israel is a kapora for the people. And therefore, uh, if uh, they come even to be buried, so then the holiness of the land is such that that fact that they're buried here is alone sufficient to bring forgiveness for all their sins. Now, uh, we realize uh, that throughout the ages, the Jews desired to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. And they came, their bodies were brought from far distant countries in order to be able to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. And one of the few uh, uh, permissible uh, times when a body can be exhumed and reburied is when the body is taken from outside Eretz Israel to be reburied in the land of Israel. That's because the land itself is holy. And therefore the holy soil of the land brings a kapora for the person, even if the person did not come during his or her lifetime. And uh, because of that there was a custom, there still is the custom throughout the Jewish world, that even the Jew that passes away in the exile and is buried outside of Eretz Israel, but uh, in the grave, uh, earth from Eretz Israel is always placed there. Because the earth of Eretz Israel is v'chiper ad amo, and that's what he said, gush ofor Eretz Israel, a piece of the dust of the dirt of Eretz Israel is sufficient to bring a kapor for a person. So we see that one of the values of Eretz Israel is that it is holy. 
and the rule in Jewish law is kol amachubor letahara tohor. If you are attached to purity, to holiness, then you become somewhat holy. It's a uh, it's an osmosis effect. It seeps into you, whether you want it or not. And therefore, Eretz Yisrael has that value that for the Jewish people it brings holiness to us. And it's one of the mitzvahs, there are two mitzvahs, the, the Bali Musa said, there are two mitzvahs that a Jew can, the, the word in Lithuania was that he can walk in with his boots. The one is in the sukkah, right? You go into the sukkah, so you have the mitzvah. And one is Eretz Yisrael. You come to Eretz Yisrael, you walk in, you're here. That's the mitzvah. So that's the only, those are the only mitzvahs that, so to speak, you know, you can do with your boots on. You just walk in. You don't, doesn't require uh, any great thought on your part as much as it requires just your presence in a certain place. Second idea regarding Eretz Yisrael. I want to walk in front of God in the land of the living. So the Gemara says, Eretz Yisrael is the land of the living. And the Gemara says that begins in Eretz Yisrael. When we have that concept that's called Gilgul Mechilos, that uh, when the dead are resurrected, so there will be tunnels that will exist uh, that will uh, be able that the Jews who are buried outside Eretz Yisrael will be able to roll to Eretz Yisrael because in Eretz Yisrael is where Trias Amesim will be. By tradition, uh, Trias Amesim will begin on the Mount of Olives, on Harazesim. And that's why Harazesim became the original famous Jewish cemetery in the world. And that's why the Hebra Kaddisha charges more money there than in other places. And you know that Jews like to be first in line, right? So it's going to happen, so you might as well might as well be there. But that's the same concept, that there's a holiness to the land itself. And the holiness is that it's Eretz HaChayim, it's your life. Even if the person is physically not alive... But being an Eretz Yisrael, because of Echiper Admoso Amo, uh, then he is considered to be alive. And the Gemara says, Tzadikim v'misosom nikroim chayim. Righteous people, even if they have passed from the world, are still called living people. And Rishoyim b'chayim, evil people, even if they're still walking around on the earth, nikroim mesim, they're dead already. The definition of life and death is not necessarily whether a person is breathing. It has to do with our soul. It has to do with our eternity. It has to do with our memory. It has to do with what people think of us. What generations think of us. And therefore the, gener- the definition of Chaim and Mesim is different. So the Gemara therefore says, Yeshiva Eretz Yisrael mitzvah bifnei Living in Eretz Yisrael is a mitzvah all by itself. So just being here is a mitzvah. You accomplish a mitzvah daily by being here. 
Not only that, the Gemara says that if you walk four Amos in Eretz Yisrael, every four Amos you walk, you have a mitzvah. I, had a, I knew a great Jew, Elio Kitov, Monkatovsky. He had Elio Kitov wrote the Sefer Aparshias and the Sefer Atodah. Uh, he was one. Of, he was a remarkable person. I remember he came to Chicago. I was 15 years old. Uh, he came to Chicago and he spoke. He was a gifted orator, just a tremendous orator. The old-time Polish orators that could speak for two hours, and it was like uh, five minutes. And he was a, he was a tremendously charismatic, wonderful person. And then I got to know him again in Miami, and then uh, here in Eretz Yisrael before he passed away, I saw him a few times. So he told me a story once that a Jew, a rabbi, came from the United States and he was visiting him and he started complaining about how things are here, which is not hard to do, especially if you come from the outside, so then, you know. So if you read the newspaper here, you know, you're depressed every day. Except for an occasional column, but otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, it's very depressing, right? So he was telling him, he was telling Monkatowski everything that's wrong. So Monkatowski took him by the hand, Elio Kitov. He took him by the hand and he took him outside the door of his apartment and he said, "Come, we're going to take a walk. One, two, three, four, a mitzvah. One, two, three, four, a mitzvah." He made him walk four amas. Every time he says a mitzvah, he said oh, that, that's how you have to look at Eretz Yisrael. Don't tell me what the so it's a confusion, and I think that's an important point. You, you should not confuse the government, the policies, the uh, the national structure of the state of Israel with Eretz Yisrael. It's two different things. And because we confuse the two, so unfortunately there are Jews that don't appreciate Eretz Yisrael because they don't like the government. Or they don't like the way Jews behave here. Or they see always the shadows instead of the light. But yet you're not allowed to see Eretz Yisrael that way. There was a whole lesson with the Miraglim that Moshe sent the spies Everything they said was true. But then they added one thing. They said, but, but the land is no good. That, that sealed their doom. That you could say there are giants in the land. You can say it will be hard to conquer it. You can say there are great fortresses. You can say the United Nations is against us. You can say everything. That's all true. But you can't say anything about Eretz Israel. Motsi dibosom roa. They said bad things about the land. Eretz Ocheles Yoshveli, they said. It's a land that destroys its people. Oh no, God said, no, no, no. There you cross the red line. Can't talk about Eretz Yisrael. You have to always talk Bishvocho Shel Eretz Yisrael. You always have to talk about what, the greatness of it. The other things you can say. There's no problem in saying that there are giants in the land, that it's going to be hard and it's going to be this, and the, and the Kanani are here and the Prezi are here, and all of that was true. They, they were not punished for saying that. 
That was their job to come back and give the report. But their conclusion of saying, Eretz Ocheles Yoshveli, that it's a country that destroys people, oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 not that. That God didn't allow. And so that's a basic rule. So again, you know, you can disagree with the government, and they give you plenty of reason to do so. And you can disagree with policies, and you disagree, but you cannot disagree with Eretz Israel. Because that's an overriding value. It's such an overriding value that Chazal say, Gimel menoch olam You want to have a fast-tracked olam You know, like in the computer now, uh, if uh, four seconds is too long for you to wait till you get on the internet, so they have like a streaming broadband that's always on, and you're there in a second, right? You mean the shortcut. So what's the shortcut Olam So the Gemara says, Zador Eretz Yisrael. If you live in Eretz Yisrael, that's a shortcut Olam So the rabbi saw it as such an overriding value that uh, that it, it can take you to Olam Just being in Eretz Yisrael can take you in Olam And the Gemara said that you have to treat Eretz Yisrael with respect. The land, again. Gemara says, They didn't want to grow sheep, goats in Eretz Yisrael because they eat up all the grass, they destroy the country. So they had to have special reservations for them in places, mostly in the deserts. There's zoning laws that the Gemara is full of regarding Eretz Yisrael, and especially regarding Yerushalayim. You can't have smoke in the city, and you can't have manufacturing. Because the place is holy. You have to treat it holy. And if it's holy, you can't do everything you want. It has restrictions with it. The Gemara says, Why does it rain in the world? <laughs> How the Gemara talks. Why does it rain in the world? So the Gemara says, because Eretz Yisrael needs rain. Since Eretz Yisrael needs rain, so it rains in Ireland too. But if Eretz Yisrael wouldn't need rain, and that's what it says, that, Lo Eretz Mitzrayim, you're going to bring it to a place that's not like the land of Egypt where it never has to rain because they have the Nile River and they can irrigate everything. I'm bringing it to a place that's dry. That's desert. And you have to hope that it rains. And therefore, since Eretz Yisrael needs rain, so the whole world is blessed with rain. And that's why when we say Geshem and Tal, the prayers, so the prayers are for Eretz Yisrael, even if we are living in different places, in different climes, and because of the fact that every place is blessed because of Eretz Yisrael. The Rosh was asked when he was the Rav in Toledo in the uh, 1300s, the early 1300s, why in Spain, in Toledo, which has plenty of rain, uh, why should they say uh, Talomota? Or Mashi Baruch Murad 
because it really doesn't affect them. And the Rosh answered, we don't say it for Toledo, we don't say it for Spain, we say it for Eretz Yisrael. If Eretz Yisrael will be blessed, then every place will be blessed. And if Eretz Yisrael is, God forbid, not blessed, so then the things aren't blessed in other places either. That is how Chazal saw Eretz Yisrael. They saw it as the focus of all blessings. The country itself. And one of the signs that the rabbi said of the impending redemption of the land of, of the Jewish people, rather, is when the land of Israel begins to produce. When you see uh, the fruit market full of every imaginable type of fruit and vegetable, something which was unheard of even uh, 30 years ago, 25 years ago in the country. And today we take it for granted. You know, and we're disappointed, you know, that uh, blueberries are out of season. But uh, Chazal saw in every piece of fruit and every vegetable that grew in the land of Israel, they saw holiness. Because that is the idea of mitzvos atulios moritz, of the mitzvahs that are dependent upon growing in Eretz Yisrael. Rabbi say, why did Moshe make such a fuss that he wants to go to Eretz Yisrael? And I prayed to God, and the Lord says 900 times, and until God said, you know, send the Nudnik away, stop. I don't want to hear anymore. Don't talk about it anymore. So the Chazal says, so what did Moshe want? What is Moshe missing? Moshe is going all the Mabah, Moshe has the Torah, Moshe is, is uh, intimate, so to speak, with God Himself. So what does he need? So the Gemara says he needs the mitzvahs of Tliyas Boritz. He needs to eat an apple that doesn't have Orla, Kilayim, that has Miser, that has Truma. That's what he needs. So we take it for granted, right? By us, an apple is an apple is an apple. But Jews always saw in it more than the apple. They always saw in it, it's a holiness because it's sanctified. It's sanctified with so many mitzvahs. And Chazal even goes so far as to say that all the mitzvahs that are performed outside the land of Israel, Tfilm, Kriyashma, Tfilah, all of the mitzvahs that Jews do the world over are only to keep in training for doing mitzvahs in Eretz Yisrael. And that the real mitzvahs are only in Eretz Yisrael. So it gives us a different sense of being here. It certainly... Uh, uh, I always have that feeling at least on the rare times that I eat a fruit that uh, you know look at me right generally I always have the feeling you know Moshe couldn't do it and I'm doing it Moshe wasn't here and I'm here right. I take it for granted But the rabbi saw in it this great holiness, this great uniqueness, this great special feeling. Because it's Eretz Asher Hashem Elokecho 
It's the holy land. It's a place where God is, so to speak. And because of that, the rabbis called it Palter in Shomelech, the king's palace. So there are duties upon us, because if you're in the king's palace, you're supposed to behave yourself. But however that may be, it's still the king's palace. And therefore, that is the feeling, the emotion that goes with it. Now, Chazal saw in uh, Yishuv Eretz Yisrael uh, overriding values. They said, for instance, Yishuv Eretz Yisrael in certain instances overrides the Shabbat. The Gemara says, Mutter, it is permissible, Lokachas Botim Eretz Yisrael Minakum. On Shabbat to buy property in Eretz Yisrael from the hands of non-Jews because of the fact that the issue of Eretz Yisrael takes precedence. And uh, the Gemara says that Eretz Yisrael, Domel Lemilo, the mitzvah of Eretz Yisrael is equal to the mitzvah of circumcision. Ma Mila Dochashavas. Just like the mitzvah of Mila is Docha Shabbos, and if the child is born on Shabbat and his Brit is on Shabbat, that was usually the origin of the name Shabsai. There's a child that was born on Shabbat and circumcised on Shabbat, so he was a Shabbos Jew. So too, Eretz Yisrael, Docha Shabbat. Eretz Yisrael also, certain instances, is also Docha de Shabbat. And therefore we have this great quality simply because of the holiness of Eretz Yisrael. Now the Gemara says even more radical statements. Uh, the Gemara wouldn't say it, I certainly wouldn't say it. Certainly not on television. But it's a Gemara. The Gemara says, Lo'olam yidor odom be'eretz Yisrael afilu bi'ir sheruba nochrim. A Jew should live in Eretz Yisrael, even in a city, in a community that is mainly non-Jewish. Rather than living in Chutz Loretz, in a city that is very Jewish. Anybody who lives in Eretz Israel sooner or later comes to the realization that there's a God in the world. The Cholador Bechutz Loretz Kemishein Lo Eloha And in Chutz Loretz after a while God takes a very secondary position. Now that's a very strong statement. If we would apply it today, we could say it without mentioning names of communities, but we all know, you know, that there are holy Jewish communities throughout the world. And here in Israel, there are places where, you know, it's not so hot. It's not so great. But the Gemara says Eretz Yisrael is such an overriding value. Living in Eretz Yisrael is such an overriding value that it overrides that too. Says Kolador Beretz Yisrael, Shorui below Ovam. 
Someone who lives in Eretz Yisrael is as though he lives without sin. So the Mephoshim explained because the Yisurim of Eretz Yisrael are of such a nature that our sins are forgiven daily. And you'll think about it. Every day. Every day something happens, right? You listen to the news. I don't know anybody that walks away from the news happy. So that instant of pain, when you hear the stupidities that go on, and the problems, right? So that instant is a kapora already. Because one of the uh, facets of Eretz Yisrael is that it's mechapeh. And since it's niknis biyasurim, so therefore the sins are more easily erased. So there was always an eternal covenant between the Jewish people and the land of Israel, wherever the Jews were. The Jews always, they named their uh, streets after uh, the land of Israel. You know, I went uh, once uh, through Provence, every little town where Jews once were, Lunel and Montpellier and uh, Arles and uh, Orange, and uh, Posquares, all the towns where the Chachme Provence lived. So there are no Jews left. All the Jews are gone. There isn't even a Jewish cemetery left. It's nothing. But in all of them, in the medieval part of the town that is preserved, there is a street called Rue Jerusalem. And Jews always remembered it. Whoever they went. And Nachman Abreslov said, Every step that I take is towards Jerusalem. That was the covenant that Jews had. And even though uh, for centuries on end they had no chance to physically achieve it, but mentally in their minds they achieved it. Spiritually they achieved it. They were home. Therefore, even in the darkest places of Eastern Europe and in the mellows of Morocco, uh, Jews were attached to Eretz Yisrael. And they were attached to Eretz Yisrael because of the fact that it was a value. It was not a matter of Jewish nationalism. It was a matter of a spiritual value that held a place in their heart and soul. And uh, that's part of the problem. Uh, what happened uh, over a hundred years ago with the coming of secular Zionism is that uh, secular Zionism uh, replaced the value of Eretz Yisrael and it replaced it with the value of Jewish nationalism of being a nation to a certain extent Yisrael. we're going to be like everybody else we have our own country and our own flag and our own army and our own anthem and we'll be like everyone else and it's no surprise therefore that in 1904 when England offered Uganda to Herzl he took it because he wasn't sold on Eretz Israel. he was sold on the fact that the Jews need a national home they need a place of refuge and that national home, a place of refuge, could be Uganda, right? It's just too bad that America didn't offer San Diego.
and the Zionist Congress approved the Ugandan plan. Fell apart because evidently God was not interested in Uganda. And it's interesting that the Eastern European Jews, led by Weizmann, uh, were the main opponents of this idea because uh, the Eastern European Jew, even when he was secularized, still was attached to Eretz Israel. Even if he was a national, a believer in Jewish nationalism, even if he was a believer in, uh, and in socialism and in all of the other things that rode the horse of Zionism, labor Zionism, all of the things, all of the isms, but they still were attached to Eretz Israel. And in being attached to Eretz Israel, they were not willing to take Uganda. And that was the whole discussion uh, throughout the, the, uh, all of the 20th century. And now that we live in a post-Zionist, modernist period, so we're back again that Eretz Israel is not the value anymore. There are other values. But that Eretz Israel should be a value? No, that, that no longer resonates. That's part of the damage of secularism. It's not that people don't put on film. It's not that people are not Sabbath observers. That's not the issue. And those who think it's the issue only see it in tunnel vision in a very narrow sense. It's that the whole view of the Jewish people, the whole history of the Jewish people, the whole goal, the whole etgar, the whole challenge of the Jewish people is different. Because now it's, no, you know, why should we, uh, now the, we want to be Venezuela. We really want to be Canada, but Canada is big, so we'll settle for being Venezuela. But that's not Eretz soil. And that vision, and that way of viewing it, uh, is really uh, the casualty of uh, a century of secularism. That's the main problem with secularism. And it reflects itself in a hundred different issues. Uh, But that's the main uh, situation that exists. So the Gemara gives us an example of Eretz Yisrael again. The Gemara says, Maaseb Reb Yudah ben Bobov, Reb Matisio ben Chorosh, Reb Chanino ben Achi. These three uh, great Rabonim, Tanoim, lived after the Hadrianic persecutions uh, when all the rabbis of Yudah ben Boba will eventually be uh, martyred by the Romans and the uh, Eretz soil is falling apart the Romans are running it uh, the Jews are being persecuted uh, the uh, yeshivas find it hard to maintain themselves it's not a happy time for the Jewish people it's about the year 150 of the Common Era, 140 of the Common Era. So they, uh, so they, they're leaving. They're Yordim. They're going to leave Eretz Israel, and they have justifications for it. 
you're talking about three of the great Tanoim. So they came to the city of Philatus, which is on the border, the border of Israel and Syria. And they remembered that they're leaving Eretz Israel. They saw the sign, Mokshim Lefonecha, the border, Gvul Lefonecha, the borders ahead of you. They have to get their password ready to cross. They remembered that they're leaving Eretz Israel. We will continue with that specific story and Rabbi Beryl Wine's lecture from the Jewish Value series and the Land of Israel coming up. We actually have to go to Israel ourselves via the uh, via our newscast from Israel on this Wednesday morning broadcast. My name is Nachum Siegel. Good morning. Hour number one almost complete here at JM in the AM, and I thank everybody tuned in around the world at jmtheam.org on this Wednesday, July 10th, the third of Menachem Av. It's the third of the nine days. Uh, Tisha B'Av is going to be on Monday night and Tuesday. We will have a Kinnis service Tuesday morning right here at JM in the AM. 76 degrees, 84% humidity, wind south at 6. Afternoon thunderstorms with a high of 83. More of the same for tonight. Low of 75. Tomorrow, scattered thunderstorms and a high temperature Thursday, 84 degrees. We're at 84 right now in Yerushalayim and Haifa, Tel Aviv at 86, a lot at 95. Up in Guilford, New York, we say good morning to our friends at Camp Misora. We're there in the midst of the nine days as well, and they have 71 degrees heading up to the mid-80s later today. And I have greetings from uh, everybody up at Misora to all the uh, parents, family, friends, former staff who are down here in the uh, New Jersey, New York area, enjoying the summer of 2013. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, WNYX Montgomery, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Our nine days format continues. I was under the impression that we have our news from Israel. And as soon as uh, we, in fact, have that newscast, we'll pass it along to you in audio form. ברוכים <laughs> שר הביטחון משה בוגי יעלון אישר את הקמת המכינה ששמה יהיה הררי ציון והיא תוקם בבקעת הירדן כאשר בוגריה ישרתו שירות מלא בגדוד נצח יהודה של הנחל החרדי מעל עשרים צירים כבר נרשמו למכינה בנוסף אישר יעלון גם פתיחת מסלול הסדר לישיבה חרדית טכנולוגית מסלול השירות יהיה ארבע שנים מתוכן שנתיים לימודים ההחלטה הזו באה על רקע תקיפתו אתמול בשכונת מאה שערים של חייל חרדי. הרבנים הם אלה שצריכים לצאת נגד התופעה, אומר דובר צה"ל תת-אלוף יואב פולי מרדכי. יעל דן שוחחה איתו. שזה אירוע ראשון ושזה אירוע שני וזה אירוע שלישי, אז זה כבר לא קומץ. אני חושב שהכתובת המרכזית היא אותם רבנים, ראשי הציבור החרדי, שאני מצפה מהם לגנות את התופעה, ואהבת לרעך כמוך. לא יעלה על הדעת שבמדינת ישראל חיילים יותקפו על ידי ציבור יהודי. 
האב אנס וביצע מעשים מגונים מאות פעמים בביתו החורגת מאז שהייתה בת שש. להגנתו טען שהיה לו רומן עם הילדה. מדווחת תמר ירושלמי. בית המשפט המחוזי בירושלים גזר על תושב העיר 28 שנות מאסר בגין ביצוע עבירות מין מרובות בביתו החורגת. הוא הורשע על פי הודעתו במאות מעשי אונס, מעשי סדום ומעשים מגונים שביצע בה בהיותה בת 6 עד 13. ישמדו צעצועים מסוכנים ובהם נפצים וחזיזים. יותר מאלף קרטונים המכילים את הצעצועים המסוכנים נתפסו בחיפוש שערכו שוטרי תחנת כרמיאל וממשמר הגבול בחנות בכפר בעין נשא בגליל. כתבינו קובי מנדל מוסר כי בעל החנות ובנו עוכבו לחקירה. הפליטים שנתפסו הוחרמו ויועברו כאמור להשמדה. צריכת החשמל בישראל מגיעה כעת ל-9,382 מגוואט, שהם כ-78% מסך יכולת הייצור הכוללת. לפי תחזית חברת החשמל, בשעות השיא תגיע היום צריכת החשמל ל-80% מיכולת הייצור. אלה החדשות שעורך עומר בן רובי. W-E-I-N, or go to RabbiWine.com, RabbiWEIN.com. He is in the midst of the lecture on the land of Israel from the series entitled Jewish Values. This is JM in the AM. Um, and we'll be like everyone else. And it's no surprise, therefore, that in 1904, when England offered Uganda to Herzl, he took it. Because he wasn't... sold on Eretz Yisrael he was sold on the fact that the Jews need a national home they need a place of refuge and that national home a place of refuge could be Uganda right? it's just too bad that America didn't offer San Diego and the Zionist Congress approved the Ugandan plan. Fell apart because evidently God was not interested in Uganda. And it's interesting that the Eastern European Jews, led by Weizmann, uh, were the main opponents of this idea because uh, the Eastern European Jew, even when he was secularized, still was attached to Eretz Israel. Even if he was a national, a believer in Jewish nationalism, even if he was a believer in, uh, and in socialism and in all of the other things that rode the horse of Zionism, labor Zionism, all of the things, all of the isms, but they still were attached to Eretz Israel. And in being attached to Eretz Israel, they were not willing to take Uganda. And that was the whole discussion uh, throughout uh, the, uh, all of the 20th century. And now that we live in a post-Zionist, modernist period, so we're back again that Eretz Israel is not the value anymore.
There are other values. But that Eretz Yisrael should be a value? No, that, that no longer resonates. And that's part of the damage of secularism. It's not that people don't put on film. It's not that people are not Sabbath observers. That's not the issue. And those who think it's the issue only see it in tunnel vision in a very narrow sense. It's that the whole view of the Jewish people, the whole history of the Jewish people, the whole goal, the whole etgar, the whole challenge of the Jewish people is different. Because now it's, no, you know, why should we uh, now? To, we want to be Venezuela. We really want to be Canada, but Canada is big, so we'll settle for being Venezuela. But that's not Eretz soil. And that vision, and that way of viewing it, uh, is really uh, the casualty of uh, a century of secularism. That's the main problem with secularism. And it reflects itself in a hundred different issues. Uh, but that's the main uh, situation that exists. So the Gemara gives us an example of Eretz Yisrael again. The Gemara says, Maaseb Reb Yudah ben Bobov, Reb Matisio ben Chorosh, Reb Chanino ben Achi. Now these three uh, great Rabonim, Tanoim, lived after the Hadrianic persecutions, uh, when all the rabbis of Yudah ben Boba will eventually be uh, martyred by the Romans. And the uh, Eretz soil is falling apart. The Romans are running it. Uh, the Jews are being persecuted. Uh, the uh, yeshivas find it hard to maintain themselves. It's not a happy time for the Jewish people. It's about the year 150 of the Common Era. 140 of the common era. So they, uh, so they, they're leaving. They're Yordim. They're going to leave Eretz Yisrael. And they have justifications for it. And you're talking about three of the great Tanoim. Higiu Liflatus. So they came to the city of Philatus, which is on the border the border of Israel and Syria. And they remembered that they're leaving Eretz Yisrael. They saw the sign, Mokshim Lefonecha, the border, Gvul Lefonecha, the border is ahead of you. They have to get their password ready to cross. They remembered that they're leaving Eretz Yisrael. All of a sudden they lifted up their eyes. So the Mephorshim say, what do you mean they lifted up their eyes? All of a sudden they looked into the future. And they looked into the past. And their eyes filled with tears. And they ripped their clothes in agony. And they said... Yeshiva Seretz Yisrael Shkula Keneget Kola Mitzvah Shabbatora. Staying in Eretz Yisrael outweighs all of the mitzvahs of the Torah, the Gemara says. The Chosrulim Koma. And they came back home. 
they couldn't leave. So we have halachas uh, that it's not so simple uh, to leave Eretz Yisrael. There has to be a very good cause. So in today's world, I don't know. In today's world, you know, you get on a plane and it's not such a big deal. And who doesn't want to uh, see Cyprus and uh, Croatia and other places? So uh, you know, it's we don't we don't hear how that resonates either. But I know Jews here that have never left Yerushalayim in their lifetime, never gone outside the environs of Yerushalayim. And I know Jews who've never left there at Sisera. Because again, it's a value. And there's certain people who feel that value within their bones. Gemara says, "Ain't Torah ketoras Eretz Yisrael." So we see that also, even though there are great yeshivas all over the world, but all the Talmidei Chachamim come to learn in Eretz Yisrael, right? With the thousands of young men that come from the exile to learn in Eretz Yisrael. Ain't Torah ketoras Eretz Yisrael. The variety of yeshivas, the amount of Torah in Eretz Yisrael is just mind-boggling. Who would have imagined it uh, even a few short decades ago that we would have such numbers? And such a variety, hundreds of yeshivas, <coughs> tens of thousands of students. And the quality of Torah. So, hey, Torah, Torah, Eretz Yisrael. The Gemara Darshan's on the Posig and Eicho, Bagoyi, Main Torah. The Gemara says, Mikan Shah, Torah, Eretz Yisrael. There's no Torah outside of Eretz Yisrael. The Torah outside Eretz Yisrael, again, is only training to be an Eretz Yisrael. Now the Gemara says, how come Eretz Yisrael is such a nothing? Right? If it's such a great country, then the Gemara says, Kol umo not fly in Eretz Yisrael. Every nation has vast amounts of territory. Velorotsu Yisrael itol Eretz Yisrael shoisaktana mikol arotsu. So the Jews said, you're giving us Eretz Yisrael, you're giving us but peanut of a land, right? And be you, what? A land that you can drive two and a half hours and you drive the whole country, right? I once drove through Texas, 990 miles from one end to the other. It's two days of hard driving. It's one state. There's a ranch in Texas, Lyndon Johnson's ranch, which is bigger than New Jersey. It's bigger than Eretz Israel, one guy's ranch. I think Sharon is interested in it, but uh, <laughs> well, they, you know. And so the Jews said, "Well, you're giving us Eretz Yisrael. You're giving us what are you shortchanging us?" Omer Hakadosh Baruch Hu. The Abonishalim said, "You don't appreciate what I'm giving you. What I give you is not measured in kilometers. It's not measured in size." It's not measured in natural resources. I'm purposely giving you this land. Because this is the land that has holiness to it. And so that has nothing to do with size. Omer HaKadosh Baruch God said, Alavai Yehun Bonai Imi Be'eretz Yisrael Afal Pisha Metami Noso. I wish that my children would be with me here in the land of Israel, even if they defile it. 
So God is uh, always more tolerant than we are. God can overlook things that we find it hard to overlook. We're not interested that people should come and be matame. Eretz Yisrael should bring dishonor to it. Should not treat it as a holy place. But again, the Talmud, uh, this is really a medrash, a yalkut. The medrash puts, so to speak, the metaphor in God's mouth, so to speak, that what? That I'm willing, if they want to come and live with me here, so then the, the mitzvah of Yeshiva's Eretz Yisrael, the value of Yeshiva's Eretz Yisrael, even if they are metameyat. The Gemara says further, Afro shall Eretz Yisrael goreim lechuva. Again, living in Eretz Yisrael will bring a person to tshuva. Ah, we don't see it yet. You will see it. There are more today than there were 20 years ago, and there are more than there were 100 years ago, and 100 years from now it will be better. We don't appreciate the change that has occurred in the country. Because Eretz Yisrael, again, the Yisurim are goreim lechuva. Imagine if we had unlimited peace. We had the Rose Garden of the Middle East. Oh, you know, so, you know, people uh, people would think it's all right to marry Arabs, and Arabs would think it's all right to marry Jews, and we'd do business together, and be friends together, and it would be wonderful. But God apparently doesn't think it's so wonderful because He doesn't let it happen. And so every turn that we take leaves us up another different blind alley. So it's going to tshuva. Makes us think about being Jewish. Gemara says, You want to see God in this world? Live in Eretz Yisrael. There you'll see him. Because again, and we can certainly testify to it, because this whole country is one long, large miracle, each and every day. Lule, Hashem, would not be for the Lord. Who knows how anything would be able to exist or survive here. So you want to see it. So you live in Eretz Israel, you see it. I think all of us who are here... Uh, Probably everyone here uh, came originally from outside Eretz Yisrael. Senses the difference of being here and of not being here. And even though we may long for the Alterheim, and for the comforts and for the benefits that exist, and they do exist, don't get me wrong, I never speak in denigration of what the Jews in the exile are and what they have accomplished, perhaps even of the necessity of having Jews in the exile. Nevertheless, uh, Eretz Israel is a special and different place. And it reflects the fact that it's a holy place. And it reflects the, the idea that the Holy One, blessed be here, is here. And that therefore in that unique quality, Eretz Israel is a special value a value that many times overrides all other values 
because of its importance and holiness. This concludes this lecture. J.M. and the A.M. Indeed, the conclusion of the lecture on the land of Israel, part of the Jewish Values series that Rabbi Wine uh, so brilliantly is presenting for us here. I apologize for that. Uh, J.M. and the A.M. at 19 minutes after 7 o'clock on this... um, Wednesday morning. We have one more lecture to go in Rabbi Wine's series on Jewish values. It's called Responsibility to Others. And we will begin that uh, lecture uh, very soon, this morning here at JM in the AM. Uh, We will interrupt it at some point at the top of the 8 o'clock hour because I'm going to present uh, something that I've done for many, many years. uh, Whenever the 3rd of Av is on a weekday. We try to do it on the 3rd of Av because it was originally presented on the 3rd of Av. The 3rd of Av is the day of Shloshim for the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and that day uh, my father delivered an uh, internationally acclaimed eulogy of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, which I think is uh, not only an amazing perspective into the life of one of the uh, giants of recent times, but it's also a, a tremendous perspective on the... Uh, history of the 20th century in our Jewish world. I think all of that is included in that uh, presentation. So we will get to that, and uh, that's going to happen at 8 o'clock this morning. And then we will continue and uh, hopefully conclude today Rabbi Beryl Wine's series on Jewish values coming up here at JM in the AM. There's a lot of things going on. The Harry Barron Ask OU Outreach and Congregation of Shalom, the Woodridge Jewel up in the Catskills, invite, invites everybody to a Shabbos Nachamu weekend Kastrus event on Sunday morning, July the 21st. Sorry about that. On Sunday morning, July the 21st, at O of Shalom, the Woodridge Shul on Maurice Rose Street in Woodridge, New York, will begin at 10.30 in the morning with an Ask the Rav session with Rabbi Belsky. Uh, it will continue at 11.10 a.m. with Rabbi Moshe Elephant on the uh, integrity of kosher meat after the L.A. meat scandal. At 11.50, Wine and Liquor by Nachum Rabinowitz on educating the kosher consumer uh, in a PowerPoint presentation regarding wine and liquor. And Rabbi Yosef Grossman will uh, serve as the uh, Master of Ceremonies for the event. It's free admission, information at 212-613-8212, 212-613-8212. That's coming up by Nachamu. The uh, Project Cold Sedek and the uh, Kings County District Attorney's Office has an important discussion on mandated reporting. Understanding who is a mandated reporter, what must get called in, what happens next, and who will be involved, and more. Charles Hines welcomes all those mental health, school, and other professionals working with children and or parents tomorrow at 9.30 in the morning to his office at 350 J Street in Brooklyn to attend a comprehensive discussion regarding mandated reporting. You must RSVP for this event. It's area code 718-250-2045. That's 718-250-2045. 
The AOK Always Our Kids annual summer barbecue takes place tonight at their headquarters, 5004 Avenue M, between Utica and East 51st Street in Brooklyn, New York. The event is catered by world-class gourmet chef Rick. There'll be a seum every hour beginning at 7 p.m. and entertainment a cappella style with Hamizamrim. Uh, everybody is encouraged to support their amazing work. Dial 917-750-7029. That's 917-750-7029 for all the information. Commemorating the 70th anniversary of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, Project Witness presents a nine-days Catskills program entitled The Lens Reveals, the Unsung Heroes of the Warsaw Ghetto, an original documentary film being shown tonight at the Fallsburg Central School District on Brickman Road in Fallsburg, New York. It begins at 7.30. Mrs. Ruth Lichtenstein, Mrs. Nechama Mursky will both present. For information, 718-WITNESS. Again, that is 718-WITNESS for uh, additional information. I remind everybody that uh, on Tisha B'Av itself... Just a moment here. On Tisha B'Av itself, we gather at the Isaiah Wall in New York City for a special Mincha commemoration. Mincha at the Isaiah Wall, this is a uh, a commemoration that has taken place over the last 36 years. And after it uh, moved from the Soviet mission, it moved to the Isaiah Wall across the street from the United Nations. Mincha with Talis and Tefillin happens at the Isaiah Wall this coming Tuesday on Tisha B'Av beginning at 2 p.m. There will be a special guest speaker um, who will be um, who will be uh, uh, speaking at the event. The um, service will be led by Avi Weiss as it always has been and uh, everyone is encouraged to be there. 2 o'clock Tisha B'Av Day, Talis and Tefillin, Mincha on 1st Avenue at 43rd Street in Manhattan it's on the west side of the street across from the United Nations information at 212 212-663-5784 212-663-5784 Eight four for information on that. Tisha B'Av program in Brooklyn, New York has been announced at the Yeshiva of Brooklyn 1200 Ocean Parkway. Um, Mariv will begin at 9.05 Monday night. Uh, Rav Ozer Alpert will speak on appreciating what we lost on Tisha B'Av. On Tuesday, Shachris will be followed by Kinnis led by Rabbi Ephraim Levine. And then lectures uh, during the day include Rabbi Shmuel Yaakov Klein, Rabbi Baruch Rabinowitz, or Baruch Hilzenrath, or Moshe Tovyali from Shmuel Dishon, or by Avram Reisman, or by Jonathan Rietti, or by Fischl Schachter, and the day will end with Marev and refreshments at 9.05 p.m. Information, Torah Connections at Yahoo.com. Torah Connections at Yahoo.com. The Brooklyn, Yeshiva of Brooklyn, Tisha B'Av program has been announced. And you can check it out and... Uh, be part of it this coming Tisha B'Av. Um, 
What else do we have here? Shabbos Nachamu concert presented by Ornava has been announced at the uh, Kutcher's Resort, uh, happening Matzah Shabbos, July 20th, with Yoni Z, 8th Day, Shlaimi Gertner, and Benny Friedman. That is quite a lineup. Uh, any information you need, you can contact Kutcher's or contact Ornava as they are getting ready for their Matzah Shabbos Nachamu event up at Kutcher's. And trying to see what else we have for you. Is that it for now? I think that's it for now. Um... All right. Information about Rabbi Beryl Wine's lecture series, which we present during the nine days here at JM and the AM, 1-800-499-WEIN, 1-800-499-WEIN. Rabbi Wine's uh, lecture series uh, with thousands and thousands of choices in history, philosophy, uh, Jewish values, the series that we're doing now. Uh, by going to the web, RabbiWine.com, RabbiWEIN.com. You can go to the web and get information about it. In that way, and uh, what else did I want to tell everybody? Coming up at eight o'clock this morning, we will present, uh, as we've done many years in the past, my father's eulogy of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, which occurred on Shloshim, the third of Menachem Av, uh, nineteen years ago. Uh, we'll do that at 8 o'clock this morning. We have one lecture to go in Rabbi Wine's series on Jewish values, and that's called Responsibility to Others. We will get to that following Rabbi Goldwasser right here at JM in the AM. A drop early for Rabbi David Goldwasser, his words. That, oh, and Rabbi Goldwasser, hang on. We just Let me just pull up the information that I got yesterday. Rabbi Goldwasser is going to be speaking, and I don't want to neglect to uh, mention it to our audience. Um, let's see here. Let us see here. Rabbi Goldwasser's, uh, going to be speaking on the topic of Bishvili Nivraha Olam. For my sake, the world was created. Why don't I feel that way? The shear takes place at the Bostoner Base Medrash, Avenue J and East 28th Street tonight, starting at 9 p.m. Everybody's invited. The shears open to the entire community. Again, at the Bostoner Base Medrash, or by David Goldwasser tonight, on For My Sake, the world was created. Why don't I feel that way? The shear takes place at Avenue J and East 28th Street tonight, starting at 9 p.m., and uh, we encourage everybody to attend. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Zechonish Masar of Zeb, and of Yosef Halevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. The Novi Yermio notes, the Kohanim did not say, Aye Hashem, where is Hashem? Our Chachomim ask, what did the Novi mean when he made this statement? After all, we know that Hashem is everywhere. Moreover, why was there specific criticism that was voiced against the Kohanim concerning this omission? The Talmud in Yuma relates, that during the last 40 years before the Chorven Beis Hamikdash, the destruction of the Holy Temple, there were certain phenomena which up until that time had been in effect. However, it no longer took place. The large heavy doors of the Hechel, which up until then had miraculously swung open of their own accord in the morning and then it closed in the evening, 
they no longer did so. The Ner Maravi no longer remained lit throughout the entire night until the next day. The red thread no longer turned white. And lastly, the Garol Hashem, the lot for Hashem, did not come up in the right hand of the Kohen Gadol, but rather in the left. Up until that time, the lot for Hashem always came up in the right. The great Goin, Rav Yosef David, cites this particular Pasuk and notes that the Kohen Gadol should have contemplated what was the reason for this occurrence. The Kohen Gadol should have questioned, Aye Hashem, where is the lot of Hashem that used to be drawn in the right hand? We know that the left hand represents the attribute of din, strict justice. The right is the attribute of loving mercy, rachamim. Yet, Klal Yisrael didn't heed the sign. They didn't reflect upon the deterioration of the relationship with their Father in Heaven. This was obviously indicative of the general spiritual decline. This ultimately led to the destruction of the Beis HaMikdosh. Similarly, in our days, when we observe the various distressing situations and the events throughout the world, we should be asking, Aye Hashem, where is the glory of Hashem? Where is our destiny that should be coming up in the right hand on the side of loving kindness? Why is it that at times our lot is switched to the left hand, the one of Din? The Chovetz Chaim once informed a group of people that he was offering a large sum of money to anyone that could find a poor person that was so impoverished that he didn't even have a chair to sit on. Eagerly, an entire group went throughout the town, each one hoping that he would be the recipient of the reward. After a few days of intense searching, the people returned to the Chovetz Chaim. They reported that although they had met many very poor people, they could not find even one person who didn't have a chair. The Chovetz Chaim sadly noted, You should know that Hashem is poorer than all of the indigent people in the world. For Hashem doesn't even have a chair that's intact. The chair of Hashem is not whole. During this time of introspection, we should remember each and every day to ask with great love and respect, Aye Hashem. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser, bringing you morning physic. Have a nice day. J.M. in the A.M., my thanks, Rabbi Goldwasser. And a reminder, he's at the Boston Base Medrash, J. and East 28th Street in Brooklyn tonight. Uh, everyone should go and be inspired by Rabbi Goldwasser's words. Uh, Rabbi Beryl Wine is in the midst of a lecture from the Jewish Values series. Actually, no, we're about to start the final lecture in the Jewish Values series. Entitled, Responsibility to Others. Rabbi Beryl Wine on the topic of responsibility to others. Information at 1-800-499-WEIN or RabbiWine.com. Coming up at 8 o'clock, my father's words about the life of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. It's all coming up if you keep it right here at JM in the AM. Tonight is the uh, concluding lecture in our uh, series on Jewish values. Tonight's lecture deals with concern for others, uh, which goes under the broad heading of Chesed. And the Talmud tells us that Torah, Chilosa Chesed, Vesofa Chesed. 
the Torah begins with acts of chesed. God clothes Adam and Chava in the Garden of Eden. He provides them uh, with a wedding party. Pays the bills. And the end of the Torah is the burial of Moshe Rabbeinu. Vayikbor Oso Bagai, the Lord buried him in the valley. So since no one knew where Moshe was buried, and no one was uh, the Hebra Kadisha, so to speak, so Kaviyochel the Rabbonishalolam buried him. God was Metapil. God bothered with him. So the beginning of the Torah is Chesed, and the end, that's the bookends to the Torah. The bookends to the Torah are concerned for other people. And uh, that became uh, the hallmark of the Jewish people. Uh, That became our identifying trait. We know that, for instance, our father Avraham, uh, who uh, is our inspiration, uh, is the Amud HaChesed. He is the pillar of goodness, concern for others. In a world that where everyone else is dome, his dome is Shali Shali V'Shalcho Shalcho. What's mine is mine, what's yours is yours, and we have nothing to do with each other. And if you're in trouble, that's not my problem. And Zdom uh, even set up uh, a rigorous societal fence to make sure that no stranger would ever come into town. And that uh, no, uh, no one need be concerned about anyone else. We see in the story of Zdom that when Lot, the relative of Ram, comes to Zdom and he allows the guests, the angels, to come into his house, uh, they, uh, an entire uproar, the whole city turns out and is ready to lynch him. Because how dare you care about someone else? So, we would therefore say that Avram Avinu, who is the uh, representative of everything that's opposite to Zdom. So when God tells him, you know, we're going to destroy Zdom, he would say, great. You know, nuke them. They deserve it. Get rid of them. Instead, Avram Avinu says, HaShofet Koloretz Loyasem Mishpot Is it possible that the judge of all mankind should not attempt to do justice here? Maybe there are 50 good people in Zdom. So we have to save Zdom because of the good people. 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. So because of that, Avram becomes the father of the Jewish people becomes the father to Jewish people because he cares for others. And he cares for others so deeply uh, that even when perhaps it goes against his own self-interest, he is still willing 
to care for others. And uh, the rabbis wanted to emphasize to us the greatness of that quality. So in the uh, Amida, in the prayer that we say three times a day, uh, for Shacharit, Mincha, and Arvid, so we say, Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchok, Elokei Yaakov. You're the Lord God of our father Avraham, our father Yitzchok, our father Yaakov. But the bracha ends, the rabbis say in brachot, Bechochosmi. The bracha ends only with you, Mogin Avraham. Why does it only end by Mogin Avraham? Because Avraham is the representative of that quality of chesed which allows us to pray to God. Because if we don't care about anybody else, then why should God care either about us? If we hold everybody to such strict standards of behavior and conformity, and that everyone has to be just perfect, otherwise... And not only just perfect, he has to be, uh, you know, my countryman, he has to be the same exact as I am, and otherwise I don't care about him. So then, uh, how can we approach God that he should care? Because God, after all, deals as we deal. Just as we measure, so God measures us. And therefore you'll find that the rabbis say that it pays to have very nice traits because then God will be nice to you as well. But for instance, if you're a perfectionist, so then God is a perfectionist when He deals with you. And if you hold everyone to certain standards and they don't meet them and therefore goodbye, so then that's how God treats you. So this idea of we seal the bracha with you, Avraham, because you are representative of the fact that somehow we do care for others. And caring for others is an attitude and it's behavior. There are some people who have the behavior and not the attitude. There are some people that have... The attitude and not the behavior. And there's some people that have neither the attitude nor the behavior. But the Torah wants us to have both. So for instance, the Torah says when we give charity to somebody, and the Lord does not send us the perfect beggar. I go through this every morning here, right? He doesn't send you an appealing person to somebody that you would love to give money to. And most of the time, you know, you know, they'd reeks of tobacco and who knows what drugs he's on and he's half drunk and you know that's the guy that comes in, right? And he's the one that waves it in front of your face. So the Torah was well aware of that. So the Torah says, Valyera Levovchva Bisitcha. Your heart should know. You don't feel badly when you give him money. So you're giving him money. I mean, what could be, you know, who can hold you to a higher standard than that? You overcame everything within you to give this ne'er-do-well money. 
The Torah says, oh, that's not enough. You shouldn't feel bad. You shouldn't feel that somehow, oh, you know, I've been exploited. I've, my money is wasted. I shouldn't have done it. Your heart shouldn't feel bad. The Torah demands that attitude from us. And therefore the Gemara says, no son titain, when it comes to giving, so it says, no son titain, give and give again. The Gemara says, even a hundred times, so you know, so I just gave you yesterday, you're back again today. So, it's a question of attitude. I want everyone to understand that we're talking here about a standard that we try to reach. To say that every day we were there at that standard, there are very few people that are at that standard. There are very few people who are able to deal that way. Always. But that, at least, is what we aim for. We aim to be the children of our own. Uh, we aim to have room somewhere in our universe, even for Zdom. Uh, we aim to save our relative Lot, even though Lot has betrayed us, and there's no betrayal like a family betrayal. And yet, uh, Avram is determined that Lot should be saved is relative so this concept of caring for others this value overrides many other things Uh, I'll give you a few examples if I may the Medrash says the famous debate in heaven whether or not man should be created so emes, the uh, value of truth, which you'll notice was not one of the values that I spoke about. The value of truth said, al let us not create man. Shukulo sheker. It's all, he's all lies from beginning to end. It's all the newspaper. It's all television. It's all baloney. It's all the shatchan. Nothing true. Sheker. Who needs him? It's all of my Sheker. It's a world of lies. World of untruths. Spin doctors. Public relations. All the good names that we have for lies. Chesed Omar. Chesed said, Yibore. We should create it. Because man has within itself the ability to do good things. And because it has the ability to do good things, because uh, millions of people will send uh, aid uh, to Indonesia uh, because of the tsunami, even though we don't know anybody in Indonesia, and even though Indonesia is not friendly with us, and even though... uh, all the even those. But man basically can do chesed. If a person wants to do chesed, there's no limit to what he can do. Right? God gives us opportunities, unlimited opportunities to help people. 
and therefore Yibore, God, you should create him. Now, so all the Mephorshim say, what about the lies? How does Chesed cover up for lies? I mean, Emes is right. The Mephorshim say that Chesed overcomes it. Because as we've discussed, all values, they are on a relative scale, so to speak. Which value has the priority? And therefore... The priority here is chesed. To help somebody. To do something good for somebody. And that overweighs the fact that we live in a world of falsehood, in a world of sham. It's all overweighed by that. Now the rabbis didn't define chesed, they called it gemilus chasodim. Gemilus chasodim means... Uh, to reach out to others. That's basically what it is. The word chesed itself means to break down barriers. So we find that the word chesed is also used in a negative sense in the Torah, uh, where the Torah discusses incense, incest in a family, a man living with a very close relative of his, so the Torah says chesed, it's a chesed meaning that you've broken down a barrier. So Gemilus Chasodim is the breaking down of barriers because our essential barrier is self-interest, selfish, it's mine. Why should I care about you? And if I'm able to break down that barrier, so that's called Gemilus Chasodim. I'm able to be Gomel Chesed. I'll be able to somehow transfer Chesed to someone else. Now the rabbis were very, very clear on the subject. So they said, for instance, Zdokov Chesed Shkulin Keneget Kol Mitzvah Shabbatora. If you put all the mitzvahs of the Torah on one side, and you put charity and Gemilas Chasonim on the other side, it'll weigh it down. Where do we know that from? From Avraham Avinu who was before Matan Torah. The Gemara says that Gemilas Chasodim is greater than Tzedakah. Tzedakah always means giving money. Giving money is easy, relatively speaking. But Shad Tzedakah B'chaim, Tzedakah is what you do with the living. But Gmilas Chasodim is Bechayim Ubemesim. You can do Gmilas Chesed with those who are living and those who are no longer here. So the word does not just mean that we, you know, we attend, God forbid, funerals or we're at the burial party or we're the we're the Chevra Kadisha that uh, that prepares the body, etc. Which all of which are great Gmilas Chasodim. But the Gemara means that uh, we, we look after his widow and his orphan. And we look after his ideas. We see to it that the person is not forgotten. All of that is under the idea of Gemilas Chesed. Because of the fact that we care about that. We care that it should not just disappear.
we let Tzdoka is Ba'aniyim. Tzdoka we give to the poor. Kamilas Chasodim, La'aniyim Ashirim. You give even to the wealthy. You call someone up. Smile at someone. Morris is very uh, uh, adamant on greeting people. You see somebody in the morning say, Boker Tov, good morning. I hear if you do it, you know, people look at you like, what's your problem, right? But uh, the Gemara says on the great Rabbi Yochanan, uh, who's the head of the yeshiva in Tiberias and Tveria, and the main uh, figure of the Talmud Yerushalmi, uh, the Gemara wants to know Rabbi Yochanan lived a very long life. you make the reckoning in the Gemara, he probably lived a century. The Gemara wants to know how come. And the Gemara always asks these questions. And the Gemara never says because, you know, he did exercise or he had a good diet or he had a good doctor. All of which is necessary. But that's not the reason that the Gemara is looking for. How come you lived so long? And whenever the Gemara asks that question, the answer is always a moral answer. So the Gemara says, because Rabbi Yochanan said hello to everybody in the morning. The Gemara says that he even said hello to non-Jews. He said hello to everybody that he saw. So I try, I'm not Rabbi Yochanan, you know, but like I go in the morning to shul, so my uh, garbage men are always there, right? So I, you know, and they're not necessarily Jewish. The guy that's driving the truck is Jewish, but the other, the ones that are schlepping the, the garbage are not. You know, and I say to him, broke her toe, so like I did it for uh, two, three years running, and they finally, you know, uh, acknowledge that somebody said something to them. So that's afilu la'ashirim, right? Even the wealthiest person likes it if somebody says to him, hello. Or uh, Shabbat Shalom, right? And there are people that just walk right by you like you don't exist. So then you're not going to chesed. Zdoka is b'mamono, the Gemara says. Zdoka you do with money. Gemilas chasodim b'mamono b'gufo. You do it with money, but you do it with your body as well. You do it with your all have a chance to do it with everything. But the Gemara says, Avroma vino vayita eishel bever sheva. So eishel uh, is the uh, acrostic of achilo shesio, and the lama is either lino or levayo. Avroma vino, he gave people to eat. He gave people a place to sleep. Uh, he accompanied them when they left. There's a din that you're supposed to walk a guest to the door. Even though the guest knows the way out. So that's... Uh, that's Avram Avinu, right? So he does it with, him, with his body, right? He shows honor to a person. So that's uh, that's Vayita Eishel planted this 
So Vayita Eishel is not just that he planted it in Be'er Sheva, he planted it within us. And I, yeah, I once saw something, it's funny, but it's not funny. Uh, one of my rabbeim in the yeshiva, so another Rosh Yeshiva came to visit him, and I happened to be in, the, uh, in their presence. So when the Rosh Yeshiva got up, the guest got up to leave, so he walked them down to the street. And then the other man walked them back to the apartment, right? And they kept on going, you couldn't get rid of each other. <laughs> Because neither one of them wanted to leave the other one unattended, right? So, you know, it could go on forever. But that's the concept. It's the concept of the fact that uh, the smallest act counts in the Gemila Sasodim roster. It doesn't have to be great things. They're small things. Says in the Torah of Chesed Hashem Meolam, God's Chesed is forever. So the Rabbi said again, Chaviva Yoser, it is the most beloved, more than charity, more than anything else. And we'll see even more startling statements regarding Torah itself. The Rambam in Hilchus Matnas Aniim in Hilchus Dok, the Rambam lists eight measures of Milas Chesed. The highest form of Gemilas Chesed of Zdoka that the Rambam lists is finding a job for someone. More than giving him a million dollars. Because if you uh, create a method by which he can earn his own way, then you've not only just given him the ability to have... uh, money and support his family you've changed him uh, you've given him the fact that he's a productive person and that was always a Jewish trait and remains so in spite of our uh, uh, turning into a capitalistic economy here in the country it still remains so that having a job is important and therefore that's why we have a lot of inefficiency in our markets uh, because having a job is important so in Europe for instance uh, we saw it even in religious life that uh, every synagogue has uh, more than one gabai when one will suffice but if you ask the man what he did oh I'm the gabai shady I'm the gabai shlishi right so he was somebody they had somebody who was called a Vecker. A lot of Jews called Baker. Baker is from Vecker. They used to knock on your window five in the morning to tell you to come to the minion. That was his job. But that's a job, right? A Shadchan, that's his job. A Batchan, he makes, you know, that's his job, right? Yeah, you're somebody. So in Eastern Europe, where the unemployment rate was 40%, unbelievable how poor the Jews were but yet everybody had to have a shred of self-respect that he was somebody I know there was a man in Chicago I remember that if you asked him what he did he said he was a shotgun so they asked him did you ever make a shidduch he said not yet but I'm working on it 
But meanwhile, he was gainfully employed, right? He was doing something. And the, uh, the, the uh, for instance, in the United States, the depression of 1929 to 1939, the 10-year depression, uh, inflicted enormous psychological damage, not just economic damage. Because you're a nobody. So the I remember I had a Jew in Muncie in my shul. He owned a large sweater factory in Brooklyn. I knew that he was a Jew, a survivor from the Holocaust, Hasidic Jew, an interesting person. And he would come to shul every Friday night. And uh, after I uh, wished him good Shabbos and everything, he had this beatific smile on his face. And he would say, you know, today, he said, I paid 350 people wages today. If the 350 people weren't Jewish, they would have, well, hey, what doesn't make any difference. I gave him a check today. So that was that's attitude. So that's Gomle Chasodim. And the rabbi said, therefore, that's one of the hallmarks of the Jewish people, that we have three things that by which we should identify ourselves. By shonim, that we have a sense of shame, something which unfortunately is diminishing. But it was a time the Jews weren't brazen about their faults. We had a sense of shame. Nobody wanted to be written up in the paper. Today it's just if they spell your name right, that's all. And Rachmonim, Jews are merciful. And they're gomle chasodim. And they they care about others. They have a concern about others. So those are hallmarks. Those are... uh, DNA traits, those are genes within us, that's Avromavina within us, that we have those qualities. Therefore, for instance, in the 19th century, uh, when the Haskalah began, and the Haskalah adopted all the ideas of the Enlightenment from the outside world, wanted to create the new Jew the problem with creating the new Jew is that he never arrives, the new Jew meanwhile you destroy the old Jew and the new Jew never comes that's part of the problem that we have here in Israel is that we created all the time the new Jew and he's not here so the uh the Tnuat Tamusar, the Musar movement, uh, founded by Rabbi Soel Salanter, uh, became a very strong movement in Lithuania, especially amongst the religious elite and the yeshivot and in the, amongst the Tamire Chachomim and the Rabbonim. And it laid the emphasis on the fact that we have to care for others. Because the situation had become so desperate that people stopped caring. 
people were in, were not no longer sensitized to other people's troubles. Uh, and this movement came to uh, revitalize uh, the Gemilas Chesed aspect within the Jewish people, which it did. And Rabbi Yisrael Salanter's famous uh, statement was that my other person's Olam Hazeh is my Olam Habo. Meaning, I have to worry about how this person is going to get along in this world. And if I worry about it, and I care, and I help that person, so then that helps me come to the world to come. Uh, we live in a world where sometimes that's opposite, right? Where we're always worried about the other person's olam Is he religious enough? Where does he eat? How does he dress? What is it? You know, where does he pray? Does he pray? And we're worried about our olam about our how things go for us here. So the Muslim movement stood to correct that imbalance. JM in the AM, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, WNYX Montgomery, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web at JM in the AM. Dot .org 76 degrees afternoon thunderstorms a high temperature of 83 the 9 days heat wave continues Tishabov is Tuesday we will have a kinna service Tishabov morning between 6 and 9 right here at JM in the AM um, we interrupt our wine or barrel wine is in the uh, concluding lecture of his series on Jewish values this lecture is entitled responsibility to others the The phone number for information is 1-800-499-WEIN. On the web, RabbiWine.com. We interrupt, as we've mentioned uh, multiple times during the nine days, because uh, on the 3rd of Av, 19 years ago, uh, my father had the uh, distinction of delivering an internationally acclaimed eulogy of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. The Lubavitcher Rebbe Shloshim was on the 3rd of Av. And here we are 19 years later. We have played this before. It gives an amazing perspective not only of the giant that the Lubavitcher Rebbe was, but an amazing perspective on 20th century uh, Judaism and the Jewish community um, of the 20th century. And uh, it is my uh, honor and privilege to play it and share it with you on this Wednesday morning right here at JM and the AM. So Rabbi Zev Siegel of Blessed Memory speaking about the amazing life of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. This coming uh, Shabbos, we shall read in the Torah the summation of Moshe Rabbeinu. And among the things that Moshe Rabbeinu says is Echo Eso Levadi Torchachem Masachem Berifchem. Moshe Rabbeinu confesses that he doesn't know how he is able to carry the burden of leadership all by himself. 
And then he continues, so he decided there should be a leadership assisting him. And he says the qualifications of leadership should be the following, and this is what the Torah tells us. Get yourselves men, chachomim, wise men, unevonim, understanding men, v'yiduim leshivtechem v'asimem veroshechem. Now you can't help but associate this statement of Moshe Rabbeinu where he designates the qualifications that there is a very strong relationship to Chabad. He says Chachomim, Chochmo, Nevonim, Bino, V'yiduim, Das, and this is Chabad. The leadership of Klal Yisroel was given to the Rebbe. And he fulfilled that mission to the maximum that can be fulfilled. He had Klal Yisroel, the entire people of Israel, was his concern and a deep concern every corner in the world no matter how forsaken it was and no matter how few Jews were there he had them on his mind in his heart and his soul there was a man qualified to reconstruct Jewish life after the great Hurban, after the tragic Holocaust that befell our people, he was one man who did it. He reconstructed Jewish life in a very commendable way and at the same time he made Jews feel without any exception whoever they may have been that they are a part of this reconstruction worried about every Jew wherever he was and he had a certain devotion and dedication to Klal Yisroel I used to sit and I had the great privilege and I don't pretend that I understood the rabbi I don't pretend that I can evaluate his scholarship or his spiritual greatness 
But at the same time, in my own way, I was privileged to spend a great deal of time. It is no secret. Many of you know it. I used to come in 12 o'clock midnight and walk out not earlier than 3.30 in the morning and sometimes even later. And after a while when we were sitting, the bell used to ring and I tried to get up because I knew there were people waiting there people who were older than me and as I was trying to get up the Rebbe said in a tone almost of chastising me he says what are you, we are talking about the Klal wir reden wegen Klal and there was no disturbance when he was engaged in worrying about Claudius Roy. And I can go on and on about his great concerns. Nothing else to point out except the Jewish community in the former Soviet Union. Three generations of Jews were alienated from everything that had to do with Judaism. And the only underground movement that succeeded in existence during the Bolshevik regime was the Lubavitch movement. And I know for a fact I can stand here for hours and testify how this underground movement functioned with real devotion and dedication to everything that had to do with Jews and Judaism. And the Rebbe was the leader. No matter how many thousands of miles he was away, they were waiting with a great deal of thirst to hear something from 770. I was in Riga and Professor Branover was there. And you probably heard of Professor Branover. Beside being a devoted Hasid, a great scientist, universally recognized a real Jewish leader respect from all walks of life in the state of Israel under every government and Professor Branover told us the following when Gorbachev came to power the Reb, so people were very scared at the time and the Rebbe sent a message to the Jewish community in Russia 
And he told them, don't worry, things will get better. And naturally, they accepted the rabbi's word. And it calmed them down a little bit. But then Branover says when Gorbachev was in Israel recently and he spent quite some time with him so he asked Gorbachev did you really when you came to power did you really think that you are going to change from your predecessors and Gorbachev said no not at all in fact, my idea was to tighten a little stronger than my predecessors. Gorbachev didn't know where he's heading to, but the Rebbe had enough insight to predict that things will improve. And I can testify it from another angle. You remember when the El Al plane was hijacked to Algiers. And this rumor was that Ariel Sharon was to be on this plane and he was told by the rebel that he should not travel with that plane. That was the rumor. When I met next with the rebel, so a little time passed, and I was curious, and I said to him, I hear rumors that you stopped Sharon from traveling on that El Al plane that was hijacked to Algeria. And the rabbi says the following, he made sure that he did not accept when I said he stopped the plane. And he said, you know, Sharon came to say goodbye to me before he went to Israel. And I said to him, don't go. And Sharon didn't go, says it's true. So naturally, obviously, I ask the next question. If you knew that the plane will be hijacked, why only save Sharon? You could have saved everyone else on that plane. And the rabbi gave me a look like I interpreted that it was not the wisest question that I have asked him. <laughs> and he says to me the following, he said, he said it in Yiddish, do you think that I saw a plane being hijacked? He came to say goodbye, and all I did was say, don't go. For me this was testimony of a certain insight that very rare human beings possess that insight. And this is what Branover meant. 
And this insight was used to reconstruct Jewish life in the world again. A great deal was said about the Rebbe's involvement in Eretz Yisrael. I knew many, many leaders in Jewish life. Zionists and non-Zionists. I had the privilege to be the youngest delegate. Believe it or not, I was young once. The youngest delegate to the last Zionist Congress before the establishment of the Jewish state in Basel. And I sat on very important committees. And I saw leaders as well in the Torah world as well. But every one of them had a certain area of knowledge and insight. One may have been politically, diplomatically well-versed. Or one may have been involved in the economics. Or one may have been involved in science. Or in military affairs. But the rabbi had them all. And I can again say it from personal experience. The hours that I listened and discussed of every conceivable phase in the life of Eretz Yisrael. Not only education, not only the practice of Torah, But every conceivable phase of life in Eretz Yisrael. And I don't have to tell you his concern about the Shlemus of Eretz Yisrael. That was on his agenda. And in the last few years, he had something to worry about, as we see it now. We talk about outreach a great deal. There are many, many who are occupied with outreach, and God forbid for me to minimize it. I know what it is. I was a little involved with it. But the outreach of Lubavitch is second to none. The devotion and dedication and the Mesiras Nefesh of the Shlichim in all parts of the world. I was sitting a short three weeks ago, a Friday night, who is now acting as the chief rabbi of Latvia. And you know the days are very long now in that part of the world. And I heard the Friday night 
devotion, the discipline. Nothing was difficult. And if there is Jewish life today in Riga, it is this chief rabbi who could have stayed in Kfar Chabad with his family. Instead he is suffering in Riga. Or a young man, many of you may know Glossman, a wife, a young wife with three infants, doing youth work in every possible way. He's running now a summer camp. And I don't have to tell you, I, want, I had occasion to, a couple of years ago when I spoke for a group who was involved with Lubavitch, to tell you about someone who was very, very active here, Leblay Braskin, who is in Casablanca for many, many years. And I saw him there in 68, also with infants. And when I went down from his apartment about one o'clock at night on a Friday night, and I say to him, excuse me for keeping you so late. So he says, what do you mean excuse me? First of all, you are the first one who is here, who was there. There in Morocco in those days, there meant Israel. That's number one. So we heard what's doing. And secondly, he says, let my children know that there is, a, there is a Jew in the world who speaks Yiddish to I can tell you many stories, but my time is limited. I can tell you what the Rebbe did in South Africa when I was there in the 70s, when the Jewish community was in a turmoil, and the Rebbe calmed them down, and the Shlichim there did their job. If there is a Seder in Himalaya, who does it? If a Shochet was needed in Romania, who supplied it? If a Mohel was needed in any part of the world, they were there. And they are still there. Yes, indeed, outreach to its maximum, all part of a reconstruction of Jewish life. Tremendous amount of creativity. You remember when the rabbi started with the Mifzat Filim in the Six Day War? And Filim was not the most popular thing on the American scene. It was popular maybe on the day of Bar Mitzvah or a month before the Bar Mitzvah. But I have noticed what Film did 
When you come to the Kotel, to the Western Wall, a religious Jew has no problem. Either he dons Minche or Mayriv or Shachris, and if he comes in another part of the day, he says stealing, he reads the Psalms. But what does a non-religious Jew do at the Kotel? What does he do? Another piece of paper in the wall. But feeling became synonymous with the Kotel of the non-committed Jew. He comes to the Kotel, he knows that this is the time to put on film and say Shema Yisrael. For all the other projects, the lighting of candles, another creativity. The Rebbe was the first one on the American Jewish scene did not permit Jews to run away from Jewish neighborhoods. But as it was said at the same time, the Rebbe never forgot the individual. And I want to share with you one of the experiences I had, which I must confess to you marked the rest of my life, particularly in the last few years, it was a great help to me. On one of my travels, and until this day I don't know how the rabbi discovered that I'm going somewhere, I was called and the rabbi asked me to do something in that particular country. I came back, so I gave him a report and again with lack of wisdom I said to him, I conversed in Yiddish, I said the rabbi will listen I said the rabbi should know that this was not easy, an easy task for me. It was very difficult. And again the rabbi looks at me and makes me aware how uh, unwise I am, to put it mildly. And he says to me, Alav Segal, Zint ven, Otir gemacht a contract mit Nuribene Shalaylom, Faragringen leb. The rabbi says to me, Since when did you make a contract with the Almighty for an easy life? As I said, among many, many things, this has become a guide in my own life.
Yes, indeed, my friends, there is a great deal to be said, and a great deal will be said. Because in all this, there is immortality. The Rebbe was not only the Manig Hador, he will be the Manig Hadoros. Many, many generations will benefit from what the Rebbe was for the people of Israel. And I know I'm as sure as I can be that right now as he stands before the Kisei HaKovod he is doing everything he possibly can to bring about our Geulah Shleim of Amen J.M. in the A.M., that is the uh, Hesped, the eulogy of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, delivered 19 years ago today on the 3rd of Av, which was the Shloshim of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, uh, delivered by my father, Rabbi Zev Siegel of blessed memory, and uh, an internationally acclaimed speech that has been quite an inspiration to many, many people over the last two decades. J.M. in the A.M. on this July 10th, the 3rd of Av, we... Uh, Build up to Tisha B'Av, the uh, saddest day of the year this coming Tuesday. We will be here at JMAM on Tisha B'Av morning with a kino service. I certainly hope you will join us. Well, I should say that differently. If you're not able to be in shul between 6 and 9 a.m., I hope you'll be able to join us. That is who the uh, Tuesday Tisha B'Av uh, service is designated for, for those who are not able to be in synagogue, those who are... Uh, uh, forced to be at work early and find themselves in the car very early in the morning, even after their own uh, Tisha B'Av Shachers and Kinnis. Uh, people who are uh, at home may find it easier to uh, get through the day if they don't leave the home. Whatever the case may be, uh, we're here Tuesday morning with services of Kinnis on the radio here at JM in the AM. Tisha B'Av Mincha on Tuesday will take place at the Isaiah Wall. Um... It'll focus on dangers facing Israel and Jewish communities worldwide. You're all invited. Bring your talis and tefillin to First Avenue and 43rd Street in Manhattan. Rabbi Avi Weiss will lead the service, as he has for the 36th consecutive year. Again, it's First Avenue at 43rd Street in New York City. Tisha B'Av program in Brooklyn, New York, starts Monday night with Mariv at 9.05, Kinnis, and then... Uh, Rabbi Ozer Alpert will be speaking at 10 p.m. Monday night. This is all at the Yeshiva of Brooklyn at 1200 Ocean Parkway. On Tuesday, Shachris will be followed by Kinnis with Rabbi Ephraim Levine, and then presentations by Shmuel Yaakov Klein, or Baruch Rabinowitz, Rabbi Baruch Hilzenrath, Rabbi Moshe Tovi Alif, Rabbi Shmuel Dishon, Rabbi Avram Reisman, Rabbi Jonathan Rietti, and Rabbi Fischel Schachter. Yeshiva of Brooklyn, 1200 Ocean Parkway, the entire Community is invited. Information, Torah Connections at Yahoo.com. Torah Connections at Yahoo.com. Our very own Charlie Harari is going to be participating in a Tisha B'Av program. A project Inspire presents Just a Word. 
harnessing our power to bring back and rebuild Klal Yisrael. It's a feature film presentation, 50 minutes, including inspirational video clips and a dynamic presentation by Charlie Harari, introduction by Harav David Weinberger. Uh, you can go to kiruv.com, K-I-R-U-V.com, uh, for more information about Project Inspire and their program for Tishabov. JM and the AM, we are uh, in the midst of Rabbi Burl Wine's uh, series on Jewish values. The uh, final lecture in that series, we'll try to do as much of it as possible. I don't think we'll get to all of it. We'll try to do as much of it as possible. Uh, responsibility to others. Try to get to its conclusion. Responsibility to others. Rabbi Burl Wine continues at JM and the AM. And therefore, they placed great emphasis on the smallest nuance. And we see that in the Gemara also. The Gemara says, for instance, that you're not allowed to have a dog in your house that will frighten people. The Gemara says, I hope nobody here has a dog, or a bad dog at least. So that's uh, he, he transgresses on the words in the Torah. You should not have blood in your house. So, uh, what's wrong if I have a dog in the house? But what's wrong is that somebody may come in and be frightened of a dog. So you'll say, well, that's his problem that he's frightened of a dog. It's not his problem, it's your problem. You have to be sensitive that there are people who are frightened of dogs. And then there are people that, uh, you know, they have pit bulls or or, or, uh, Doberman Pinchers or uh, these enormous dogs that really can be killers. The dog snaps. So that's literally lososim domim beveisecha. But the Gemara saw that as a value. That you care about others. If you cared about others, you wouldn't have such an animal in your house. Everybody tells you, don't worry, he never bites. But that doesn't do any good to a person who's afraid of dogs. Now, the Gemara discussed... What do we do now that there's no Beit HaMikdash to bring forgiveness for us? When the Beit HaMikdash existed, so its main purpose was that it brought a sense of forgiveness to the Jewish people and to the world generally. That sins could be forgiven through the service in the Beit HaMikdash. Whether it was by bringing an animal sacrifice, uh, visiting the Beit HaMikdash, it was, there was, you know, that was the atmosphere. The atmosphere was that the Lord would forgive you. Now that there's no Beit HaMikdash, what do we do? So the rabbi said uh, straight, Today we cannot uh, have any forgiveness through a sacrifice or by bringing a meal offering in the temple. There's no temple anymore. None of that exists. 
Avo miskaper betorah gemilas chesadi. But we still have a way to reach God through the pillars of Torah and of gemilas chesed of care for others. So the Gemara tells us a story that uh, uh, the house of Eli, Eli Akoi. So the house of Eli was cursed that its descendants did not have longevity. They didn't live long. They lived only to 40 or 50. So the Gemara says that Rova and Abaye both were descended from the house of Eli. The great Rova and Abaye who are uh, pretty much the mainstays of the Babylonian Talmud. When we think of the Talmud, so we say, Omar Abaye, Abaye said, it's like the headline for the Talmud. So they uh, were from the house of Eli. So uh, one text in the Gemara is that Rava lived 40 years, one text is 50 years, and Abaye lived 60 years. Abaye outlived him. So the Gemara says, why? Why did Abaye live longer than Rava? So the Gemara says, because Abaye, because Rava only studied Torah, but Abaye was not only Osik Pa Torah, he was Osik Bigvilas Chasodim also. And the schus, the merit of Gmilas Chasodim, so how can you say that Rava didn't do Gmilas Chasodim, right? Rava could be Machai Mesim, he could revive the dead. But it means relative to what could have been done. Rava concentrated on the Torah exclusively, and Abaye devoted with great intensity his efforts to Gmilas Chasodim as well, and therefore he lived longer. So the Mephorshim says, well, why did he live longer? The answer is people needed him. It's no longer because of him, it's because of others. We find that halacha, and that's the key to understanding Gmilas Chasodim, is that people need you. The people need you, then God can't, you know, we got unfinished business here, we got to let it go a little. The Gemara says, Rabim Tzrichim Lo. About a certain Amora. Many people needed him. So many people needed him. So the Gemara says that when he was cured from his illness, the Gemara said he didn't have to, the Gemara is in doubt whether he had to make the blessing of Agomel Lechayovim Tovos. But we call the Birchas Agomel the blessing that is made when a person recovers from illness. The Lord says, because uh, he recovered from illness not because of him, he recovered from illness because Rabin Trichelo, many people needed him. So it had nothing to do with him, it has to do with the other people. My Rebbe always used to say, you should always be in the middle of something. Never, never finish a thing. Never say, okay, now that's it. You know, now I retire. Because you're in the middle of something, so then they need you still. And if they need you, so, you know, so Abayah is not supposed to live till 60. But because he was also Chasodim, and there were people that needed him, he was still in the middle of doing things for people, so God added years to his life. So he would be able to complete the tasks 
that he had undertaken. Primary mitzvah in the Torah, Rabbi Akiva says, That's the overriding value in the Torah. The Gemara says that that value extends to executing the criminal uh, for uh, murder, let's say. So the Gemara always says, Give him the easiest death possible. In, in, the, in the world, the, uh, the methods of execution of criminals were always so uh, brutal, tortured to death, terrible things, and everybody felt the guy had it coming. Look at it, you know, in a murder. He did such a heinous thing. The Gemara says, V'ahavta l'reyach includes the criminal also. Choose for him a death uh, that is not painful. The Gemara describes that they used to anesthetize their, uh, the, those that were found guilty, etc. So only now in the Western world uh, is the world somehow coming to this sort of idea. And the Gemara, generally the Gemara, the rabbis were against any sort of capital punishment. The Mishnah and Makkah says that a Bezdin, that the Sanhedrin, that once in 70 years or 70 years found somebody guilty and executed him was a bloody Bezdin. The state of Texas kills three a month. That's based on the fact that the rabbis were convinced that it's better to let 999 guilty people walk on the street than have one innocent person be executed. And now that we've had, uh, there, there was a case now in Chicago of a man that was uh, convicted of all sorts of crimes and everything, and now they proved it with the DNA that he didn't do it, and he had nothing to do with it, and uh, right? so they would have killed him. And that's based on the idea that you don't have to worry a guilty person doesn't get away with it because there's a God in the world and eventually everything gets straightened out. But we are not we are not to be killers. So the rabbis therefore said, Imraisa, if you see that the schus ovos has become weaker, and the schus ovos doesn't only mean the merit of the fathers, if you see that the tradition is weakened. People are not like previous generations, or people are unaware of previous generations, which is really the situation here today, to a great extent, both in Israel and in the, the diaspora. Jews don't even know. They don't know who their grandfather is. They don't know. So if you see that that's weakened, so the Gemara says, L'chu bidovku bechesed. The way that will save us is by doing chesed. And that's a trait that remained by Jews. That's like the last station on the road, right? Does he still give money to Jewish causes? That's really the last stop on the road. Once that's gone, so then it's gone. But there are a lot of Jews that really had nothing else in life except that. 
So there were people uh, that used to rail against checkbook Judaism, they called it. Right? Writes out the check. But there's something to be said for checkbook Judaism, because he's still in the ball game. He's still under the uh, general heading of our father Abraham. When there's no more checkbook Judaism, so then he's really gone. And there's nothing left. There were two great rabbis, so more talks about it. Rabbi Lozan ben Parto and Rabbi Hananya ben Tradyom. Two great Tanoim who were arrested by the Romans for teaching Torah. So, one was freed. Rebelozim ben Parto was freed. Miracles happened. The Gemara tells us about it. And he was, the Romans let him go. Abchanina ben Shadion was not freed. He was convicted. And he was burned to death. He was wrapped in a Sefer Torah. And they burned the Sefer Torah and they burned him with it. So uh, when he was convicted, so Rabbi Lozim ben Parta asked him, how come I was freed and you were convicted? He held that Rabbi Hananya ben Trajan was uh, as great, if not greater, than he was. He was a famous holy man. He's the father-in-law of Rabbi Meir. He's the father of Bruria, the famous uh, woman in the Talmud. So he said, why, you know, like, what's the problem in heaven with you? If they're willing to let me go, then why didn't they let you go as well? And Rabbi Hanani ben Shadion told him, Sha'at asakta betorah ubigmilas chasadim, v'anilo asakti yela betorah bilvad. I, the same idea that we saw by Rova and Abaye. I only study Torah, I only taught Torah. So even though Torah is the value, right? And we discussed that in the, the great lecture that I gave about Torah, right? But the overriding value to Torah is Gmilas Chasodi. I remember that... Uh, I was uh, 16 years old, which really is a feat of memory already. And uh, I'm sitting in uh, my Rosh Yeshiva's shear in the Chicago Yeshiva in Rabbi Christworth's shear. And a man walks in, a clean-shaven man, the business suit, dressed to the gills, uh, and he has cologne. And his uh, hair is uh, gelled, you know. I mean, he is not the man that you expect to walk in the middle of the shear. And he walks in the shear, and Rabbi Christward jumps up like a, uh, you know, like, like the, he had a spring in the chair. And he says to all of us in the shear, stand up. So the Rabbi says, stand up, so we all stand up. And the man uh, spoke to Rabbi Kreisler for two, three minutes, and he went out of the room, and we never saw him again. 
So in the middle of the shir, we never asked the Rebbe anything, but after the shir was over, we said, Mazeh, you know, what's going on here? So we thought, you know, this guy uh, must give $100,000 a year to the yeshiva, or, uh, you know, it must something. Rekhaisert said, he saved 10 Jews in the Holocaust. So he says the halacha is that for a balmasef for somebody that did a, a masef of chesed, an act of chesed, you have to stand up as though the greatest gone in the world walked into the room. It's a value. Save ten Jews. So a, a few things made an impression upon me. We have to be thankful that ten Jews were saved, even though six million were killed. And the second thing is, in heaven, how do they judge a person, right? So apparently they don't judge him by his suit, and by what cologne he wears, and how fancy he fixes up his hair. He's a he saved ten Jews. And therefore... Uh, that's an overriding value. That was a lesson. I mean, uh, the picture is embedded in my mind till today. How the Rebbe said, stand up. We were all ready to laugh at him, right? Because when uh, we were so pious when we were 16. They discussed uh, truth and uh, chesed as being, uh, to a certain extent, two contrasting values. And now chesed overrides it. Uh, so it's a Gemara. Gemara says, uh, Gemara in Ksuvis. The Gemara, famous Gemara that's been put to song. When we dance in front of the Kala, I don't know how they danced in front of the Kala when the Kala was in the other building, but that was. But apparently, in the time of the Talmud, that was uh, they 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 weren't quite religious. So where it says, "Kate on Maragdi Bifnei Akala," how do you dance in front of it? What should you say? So Beishamai says, "Kala Kamoshi," you say what she is. So it depends on the Kala, right? The Shilov says, Kale Noevechasuda. Oh, beautiful, delightful, wonderful Kale. So, Beishamai said to them, How about the truth, right? She's ugly as sin. She's, you know, she's not such a nice person, right? So, why should I say Kale Noevechasuda when she isn't? So Basilil said to them, Mishakona Mekach Minashuk. If a person bought something in the marketplace and he shows it to you, he bought it already. What's the chetzah to do? Oh, I could have got it for you cheaper. Which is the Jewish answer, right? Or, you know, I don't think that color looks good on you. 
or it's not really nice. All of that may be true, but that's the opposite of chesed. Chesed is wonderful. I hope you enjoy it. Wear it in good health. I'm glad that you found what you wanted to find. It's wonderful for you. So Beis Hillel said, Chesed trumps Emes all the time. Makes somebody feel good. My Rebbe all <laughs> he used to say in Yiddish, he said, "Farchnife kriegminit kempach," which meant that no one ever punched you in the nose because you flattered him. Even if you know the flattery is not true, but you still enjoy it, right? It was a great sermon, Rabbi. I know that you didn't like it, right? I didn't like it either when I said it. But if you tell me it was a great sermon, I feel good, right? I go home and I feel good about it. See, you made me feel good. That's chesed. That's sensitive to somebody else. And that's an attitude. That's an attitude that colors everything in life. Now what a person thinks of when he deals with others. So for instance, the Gemara asks, how come Moshe Rabbeinu is called Moshe? Moshe had seven names. All of his names, all of his other names are Hebrew names. Yekusiel, Yonason, he has beautiful Hebrew names. Moshe is an Egyptian name. Batya, the daughter of the Pharaoh, gave him the name. Because I took you out of the water. So, you know, so it was, it's Eric, it's Jeffrey, it's Kevin, right? And what kind of name is that? And the Torah is only Moshe. Moshe, Moshe. So the Gemara says, why? From here you learn how great Gemilus Chasodim was. Because Batya, the daughter of Paro, saved him. She was Gomel Chesed. And therefore the name that she gave him is the name that God used in talking to him. Because that's the name of Chesed. And so the rabbis used all of these mechanisms to try and bring home to us this idea of the greatness of caring about others. Of how it, so to speak, carries over everything else. Moshe told the Jewish people, we have to go in the ways of God. So they said, how can we go in the ways of God, right? How can, what does that mean? God is up there, so to speak, and I'm down here. God is infinite and I'm finite. God is omniscient, He knows everything, I know nothing. What do you mean to go in the ways of God? So Moshe told them, Omar Moshe li Yisrael kol drochav chesed hu the ways of God are always chesed God is always cares about us JM in the AM that's the uh, lecture brought by Beryl Wine on responsibility to others uh, part of the Jewish Values series 
uh, that we've been uh, kicking off our nine days format with. Uh, more tomorrow, starting at 6 a.m. here at JMNAM. Also, our uh, friends from the OU will visit us tomorrow as they will be doing a Tishabov webcast like uh, none other, as they do every single year, in order for everybody to gain inspiration. And uh, if you find yourself at work or somewhere else where it's difficult to uh, get into the spirit of the day, they will help with that, and we'll have all the details for you tomorrow here at JM in the AM. Make sure to join us between 6 and 9 tomorrow as we continue Rabbi Wine's lectures on the web, RabbiWine.com. It's not only uh, Jewish values, it's Jewish history, philosophy. He has uh, thousands and thousands of titles that have been uh, inspiring people for, uh, at this point, generations. And we have um, the privilege of featuring him during our nine days format. Acapella style selections coming at you the rest of the day on our stream at jmtheam.org. So make sure to be tuned into that. And uh, you'll be able to uh, follow that format online. Achim Israel and Achim Achim, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite, America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, WNYX Montgomery, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, and around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. And that will close out our program for today. Till tomorrow, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember to past, live the present, and trust the future.